0: right everybody welcome back another episode of maintenance day i am joe yurden i'm here with lance lasowski of the buffalo news and it's been a week it's now a new year and it's pretty wild that it's 2022 because it, it feels like 2020 has lasted about nine years so good for us for making it this far uh but we're we've got a lot of saber stuff to to really dig into this week because Guys are off the COVID protocol list. Guys are playing. We've got some guys playing really well. And then we've got some other guys not playing well. So Lance, welcome back. Happy New Year, my friend.
1: Happy New Year. Another busy week. And I like how you mentioned it feels just like 2020. And congrats to all of us for for making it. Hope everybody had a nice New Year. Um, Safe, happy plans, whatnot. Enjoyed the Winter Classic. That was a fun watch. And yeah. yeah, no. I mean, you and I were at KeyBank Center on Wednesday, and we were ready to talk about some of this stuff then. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, before getting into it for sure. Yeah, and we we got a couple of guys back uh, this
0: week. We didn't. The Sabers did. They're they're not our team. We don't own them. That's you know, <laughs> if we did, things would be a little bit different. But um, but we but there was a a Jeff Skinner sighting as he's back and my brain is blanking on who else. Came Vinny
1: Henestrosa oh, is back right. as well. Yeah, that? they were the first. So they were the The two, two of the first added to the list. Zemgis Gergensen's was also added in that first little wave there. Um, Zemgis had symptoms. So you know, even for a, only a couple of days, I think that's why we have mm. yet to see him back in the lineup. Don Granado is also back. So that was an interesting few games with Matt Ellis behind the bench. Um, yes. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, I'm sure I know that like Don Granado is like talking to the coaches on Zoom between periods. Right. I can't imagine how big of a, a mess that was, especially when you have all these new guys in the lineup. It was just it was a weird week. But at the same time, a lot of people were obviously extremely excited with the Amberks, the three, mm. well, two most notable prospects in the bunch that uh, joined the Sabres this week, Joe.
0: That's right. We had uh, J.J. Paterka and Peyton Krebs uh joining the team this week we also had the the debut of alex tuck finally uh who was supposed to be out there before what christmas and then everything got got bagged so you know whatever but he did he did finally make his debut and but let's let's talk about Paterka and krebs a little bit here Let, well let's start with Paterka because he's already sent, been sent back yes um so that you know, with, hey, that's fine. We kind of expected that to be the case because, the, you know, these guys were just being brought up because the COVID list was a little bit bulgy. So, uh, but Paterka, I don't know the game. The game we were at the uh, the game against New Jersey, I was very impressed with with how he played. It wasn't quite as good in the second game, but uh, but I really liked the jump that he had in his game, and I really liked the way he was able to blend in with Thompson and. Uh, with talk. So
1: what
0: what are your takeaways from from his performance, at least here in the NHL level, because we, we got another look at him uh, in, in the AHL on Saturday, but.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. The first game I thought was really good. Second game, there was a drop off. Maybe that's just, hey, it's a back to back. You know, they just had that long break. It's a pretty big adjustment to get to the NHL in the first place. But the first game uses speed. Those those zone entries are are really, really special when he takes Mm -hmm. the puck up the ice on the rush the way that he can. Um, the skill is that I think his his skill is definitely at an NHL level right now. The the thing that is missing, the piece that is missing, is just the details. We saw it on that back check on the Barzell goal um, mm-hmm. on Long Island. Well, on Thursday. So comes down the wrong side of the ice, you know, doesn't pick up a guy. I mean, that's all. I mean, I think Tate Thompson was also the one back checking there as well. So it's not just on Paterka, but it's little things like that. Um, he skates himself into trouble sometimes because he is he's trying to skate a million miles an hour because the kid can. And then, <laughs> you know. Yeah, overskates the puck, ends up turning it over. So they had some one and done possessions in that game in particular. So really good lessons for him to learn. I think that he he goes back. I mean, we saw what he did on Saturday well, against Springfield, where he was just dominant in that game uh, back in the, in the Amherst lineup. So, you know, I mean, I think it, it showed fans. Um, just what the upside is, what that skill set is, if anybody who hasn't seen him with the Amherst yet, but a uh, little bit more ways to go. You have to like what he was able to put out there uh, on Wednesday in particular, though.
0: Yeah, I I was very impressed with the speed and how quick he is through the neutral zone um, and certainly his way of taking the puck in. It's not the easy entry along the boards where you're just kind of getting in and defenses are like, yeah, go ahead, take it take it around the outside. That's fine. He was cutting to the middle of the ice, taking it through the zone and really getting defense back on their heels and making sure the four checkers were staying or the uh, the back checkers were staying awake because he, once he was he, he was able to buzz through at one point, I think I think it was the second period because that's when Jersey was giving up uh, breakaway opportunities like they were candy. Uh, you know, Halloween candy there. But uh, Paterka almost got a break in, breakaway in that second period. It came right before, I believe, Thompson's breakaway goal. Um, and if I forget if I've got my timing down, but uh, that kind of jump, not necessarily like Pavel Bure hanging out in the, you know, hanging out by the other blue line waiting for a headman pass kind of thing. But um, certainly that ability to, to to open up the game was nice to see, especially for a kid that, you know, very easily could have been just like, oh boy, first game. Let's, uh, you know, be timid. Let's not do any, you know, let's not try to ruffle feathers here.
1: Yeah, exactly. And last season, even before the season before that, when he was in Germany, yes, he's playing in a professional men's league, but he's playing fewer, you know, fewer than 10 minutes a game. He's mostly on the power play. So he doesn't in the qual, Let's face it. The level of play over there is not even as good as the American league. So it's nice. It, It was a perfect opportunity to come up and, there were those struggles in that game on long Island are going to be major lessons for him moving forward. that are going to be helpful. You know, he mm-hmm. can watch that film and realize areas where he's gated himself into trouble when he could have used his line mates instead. It's a typical stuff you see from young players, but I mean, wow! I mean, this mm. the skill, the skating. A lot of a lot of the areas of his game are already where they need to be for him to be in the NHL right now. So all all it is now is clean, cleaning up the defensive side, cleaning up. You know, when you enter the zone, where, what are, you, where are you gonna go with the puck next? all right? mm-hmm. Don't just skate don't skate toward the net where a bunch of other guys are, and then you just, yeah. just turn it over. So um, yeah. really, get this was a that was the only silver lining in all this with the Sabres was it gave it gave them and JJ Paterka an opportunity to sort of get his feet wet and um, really get a good barometer for where he's at. I'll say this too. We've seen it too often in the
0: past where, a, you know, a promising guy comes up and then he winds up playing with the third or the fourth line because they're just like, well, you know, we got to keep his minutes limited. We got to make sure you know, th- you know, things don't get out of hand. We can't wreck the, the chemistry with our top two lines. And instead, Matt Ellis and, you know, Don Granato, the I guess it's the puppet puppet of Don Granato, Matt Ellis. I don't I don't want to be rude to Matt. I love Matt. Um, yes. But the, but putting Paterka right there with Thompson and Tuck, you know, right off the hop, I think was a great idea because you want to see what he's about. You don't want to see it. You know, if you know his weaknesses come in defending and back checking and all that. Don't put him with a couple of guys that are that's their strictly their job, you know, put him with some offensive guys and see what he can do and see what kind of jump he can provide. And he certainly seemed to do that in that game.
1: Yeah, you actually get to see how his skill is going to mesh. It's not like that kid's going to be playing in the bottom six in the future, right? Especially in a fourth-line, checking-line role. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ralph Kruger move would be, eh, let's put him with Johan Larson and Zemmigas and see how he does. And then, yeah. you, then you bench him when he, when he doesn't play well. Like, it makes no <laughs> right. sense. It, that whole approach doesn't. So I really like how, I'm with you, how Don... Matt Ellis, that entire coaching staff—they aren't afraid to throw guys in the deep end and just see how they handle it. That's the only way they're going to learn. You don't want to put them in a position where, you know, they don't learn from their mistakes. They don't. Yeah. And that was—I I really like the way you frame that. That's—that's that's very well said. Yeah,
0: it's there's so many guys from Sabres past you can think of that they that they've done that exact thing with. Um, I, I mean, the guy that sticks out for me is Mikhail Grigorenko, who was getting like the you know 15 minutes a game this first few games and then you know he was locked in he has to stay in buffalo because you know if not he has to go back to juniors mm-hmm. and then once he gets past like that eight or nine game threshold they were just kind of like okay all right well uh, i guess eight minutes a game is going to be fine for you on the fourth line mr <laughs> offensive creativity oh wait why isn't it working here at the nhl level oh wait let's get him back to quebec oh right or let's get him to rochester Because that's the right move. And it's like, no, you can't. He has to go back to the, he has to go back to the queue guys. He's not, I know you might think he's 23, but he's actually 19.
1: There are just so many instances of them mishandling players over the years. We could go on and on. It's absurd how (laughs) bad, how poorly some of these development plans have been handled by previous regimes, coaches, Mm -hmm. and like, I know we touched on it in previous weeks, how there's finally a plan in place. And You know what, you could say what you want about how their decision to put Peyton Krebs in Rochester at the time of the trade, right? He was in the NHL, obviously Mm -hmm. wasn't making a big impact offensively. It would have been, I'm sure it was very tempting for Kevin Adams and everybody in the organization to throw him in the NHL, but he goes down to Rochester. He had some, he had some struggles down there. wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't a dominant player by any means. And, you know, finally we, I think we're really seeing, we saw in those three games this past week, the impact that stint down in Rochester had. Well, what were your thoughts on what we saw from Krebs? You know, in my opinion, I thought he felt got better as the game went along for sure. Yeah,
0: I, I I agree with that. I I think I think what we saw from him was uh, a mature a maturation. I, I'm getting my syllables all out of whack here. <laughs> um, I, it was it was very interesting because I think people were expecting goals 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 from him right off the hop. And it certainly seemed to be that way via Twitter conversations and, and critiques that, you know, he didn't have a shot on goal till late in the, late in the first game or not until the second game. And people were just like, Oh great. We got a guy who doesn't score any goals. What good is this going to do? And it's like, well, that's, that's not his main thing guys. Like that's, you know, he's not the goal scorer type. He's the setup guy. And then the game against Boston on Saturday, boy, oh boy, did we see that in the, Bucket loads with the way he was able to handle the puck, the way he was able to kind of not necessarily dangle around guys, but just be able to puck handle past guys, and then gets in a miraculous sort of setup to Alex Tuck for a goal for Tuck's first goal as a saber. And Tuck's reaction to the whole play was was enough for me because he gave him that like, holy crap, dude, you did that. Like, that's incredible. And Krebs are just kind of like, Yeah, yeah, I know. I just that's what I did. And Tuck's like, dude, do you realize what you did? (laughs) <laughs> and uh it was it was it was nice to see that because we were seeing it from him that in t- that entire game we were seeing him really able to handle the puck well really kind of make some boston defenders look kind of dumb you know jumping at you know just jumping at the puck thinking like well we got this easy he'll poke it away and nope he's he's already stick handled around you so i you know it, it took a couple of games but like i'm not expecting him to jump out and be you know fire wagon hockey right away i'm glad that it took until I mean, obviously you want to see it happen as soon as possible, but, um, but I'm glad to see it grow as the games went on. And I don't know about you, but I think this might put them in an awkward position to decide if he goes back to Rochester or not.
1: Yes, I I absolutely agree with you. Um I thought he was really good against the Islanders. Liked this game against Boston as well. In the latter portion of that first game, um you could really see him start to get comfortable there. And there when you have a young center like him and there in some ways it, you know, Jack Eichel's a decent example here is that it takes them some time to be to become selfish. They're always looking for that first pass and because they see the ice so well, there's that creativity in their game. Um then they know how to create time and space for their line mates. A lot of times that setting up that looking for the pass is something that they do early on their careers. And then as their game sort of opens up, they get more comfortable at the national hockey league level. They start shooting the puck more. I mean, over those three games, Peyton Krebs is only credited with one shot on goal. Um, Did really well in the final moments against the Islanders. I liked how they had him on the ice there as they're, Mm -hmm. they're trying to make that push. Um, But he's winning puck battles. He's good defensively. He, he looks like an NHL player. He really does. So if it leads to the debate, I mean, I know that Dylan cousins, like as long as he hasn't developed symptoms, since we heard from Kevin Adams last week, then he's should be in line to exit quarantine the next couple of days. So what do you do when cousins gets, gets back? That's the big question for me. Mm -hmm. I'm keeping Peyton Krebs. I I just am, you know, Jack Quinn's going to be coming back in Rochester. You know, you can have him and Paterka down there. Um, you don't need to have Peyton Krebs down there. He's earned a longer look here, and just see where he takes it. Yeah, and that that
0: was the comparison I, I I tossed out on Twitter, and people were saying like, "Geez, I can't send him back in there." I was like, "Well, they can," but he's the same draft year as Cousins, and he has about the same number of games, developmentally speaking, as Cousins had. And you know, Cousins is already in his you know second full NHL season here, and you know Krebs has got what six, seven NHL games before these past three you know i don't i don't feel i don't feel like they have to send him back to rochester i feel like this is as long as casey middlestad is out that leaves a that leaves an opening in that top the top 9 where you need a guy and i i don't think it's coincidence that uh the the line they had Krebs start out with was with pozo and and brett murray in the in the, the game against new jersey so that to me tells me that they liked They think he's mature enough to handle that group. That was Cousins' group for for a time as well, Um, but that shows to me that they're thinking a little bit further ahead. Saying, you know, you know, if Cousins, you know, when Cousins comes back, he's our top six. Like that's you know without a doubt. Um, But we need to maybe think about keeping him in that spot in the top nine because. You know, you could you can argue that the fourth line is is a schmozzle of about four or five, maybe even six guys is possible in that in that fourth line spot. But uh, but as far as finding a center in your top nine, that's you know without Casey, that's that's a, that's a bit more of a mystery. And I think with Krebs showing that he's acclimated well and that he can handle he can handle the business. I don't know. I, I think you keep him here until, you know, until middle stats ready to come back, which I mean, might not be for a little for a little bit here.
1: Yeah, I remember a month ago, um, it was actually a month ago today, uh, December 2nd, when Casey Middlestad returned to the lineup uh, for the first time, um, coming off that first injury, and how excited Don Granado was to finally have that top, those three centers, Thompson, Cousins, and Middlestad, and just the, the possibilities that opens up for a coach in terms of building a lineup, You know, your power play units, two, three really talented centers. And I don't know if you have I mean, Krebs, Cousins, and Thompson, that's a really good place to start out with. And obviously, those three are going to make your wingers better. It's going to it's gonna maximize what you're able to do at 5 5 And yeah, you make a good point. When stat comes back, that's a problem for another day. It's a good problem to have, though. You would think that somebody's going to move to the wing at some point because it's not like any of those guys are playing on the fourth line. It's a conversation mm-hmm. for another day, but as of right now, I think with the way Peyton Krebs is playing, the only the only possibility um, I see for this coming week of him going down to Rochester is just for the f- simple fact that the Sabres only have one game currently on their schedule. Mm-hmm. If you want him to go get a game in, something along those lines. But, man, yeah, y- you have to like what he did and um, just the maturity and, like you said, just being able to handle any play with different line eights. I think it was Olofsson mm-hmm. got moved up into that spot uh, after that first game, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, um it in plus I mean Krebs played well in the NHL late last season too. So it's not like this is the first time he's shown right. some maturity and ability to do it. So so you, see where you can take it. I think that's you know honestly this the, the
0: position the Sabres are in again they're they're not charging for a playoff spot. They're not you know they're not angling to to get into the race. They're not trying to do any of that. There's no need to to have these Preconceived notions of saying like, well, we can't do this because X, Y, Z. You could say, well, no, we can do this because we don't have X, Y, Z, and we're not really changing our development idea and our development plan if we if Krebs sticks around. Because again, of the of those three guys, of him, Paterka and Quinn, Paterka, you know, I, you know, first year in North America, obviously he's he's the guy that probably has to stay there, the stay in Rochester the longest of those three uh Quinn you know he's having a monster season you know he's just coming off a of mono so you know we'll see where he's at in a couple of weeks um but you, you can say he had such a bad time last year that he's got to get the confidence up I'm sure the confidence is very high right now but coming off a of mono that's that stinks you know he lost a ton of weight according to Kevin Adams so you know that's that's stuff you don't Wanna hear, but also it's like it doesn't force you to to think like, well, geez, we got to get him back because we gotta we have to give him his NHL games too. Like you don't have to do that, um, and I, I think with Krebs, it, it's it's totally
1: different because he does have that NHL experience already. You can say, you know what, we're good. This reminds me of how they handled Uko pekka and I'm sure initially they thought UPL was going back to Rochester after a couple of games, mm-hmm. you know. No, because I know they wanted to be patient with them. They wanted to be really careful, especially with goalies. We all know how volatile development is with goaltending. But, mm-hmm. you know, UPL played his way into a longer spot on this team, and Arundel played his way off of it. And I think that Peyton Krebs, when it comes to development, it's all about, okay, what is best for this player's development today? this moment and right now for UPL and now Peyton Krebs it's apparent to me that the best spot for his development is in the NHL with the Sabres yeah yeah I
0: I'm yeah, yeah. I don't think you can really justify sending either of them back immediately like there's a, you know tukarski's is still going to be a little ways off for you know as far as UPL goes and at that point you can just send Malcolm Subban to Rochester because I mean He's kind of in the NHL because he has to be at this moment because he's better than Aaron Dell. Um, So I don't think you feel bad about sending him, sending him down. And it's not like he's getting in the way of anybody playing in Rochester as far as goalies go, you know, especially because the guy that you wanted to play games in Rochester is now playing games as a starter in the NHL. So I don't think you have to worry about that too much. What does worry me though, and this is a good transition. Thank you for bringing up Lukaden, Uh, UPL's, thinking back to where he came from in Sudbury, he was under fire quite a bit in Sudbury. Like he routinely 30, 40 shots a game and seemed to thrive in that kind of environment, which is a good thing because the Sabres are doing just about the same kind of thing for him here where the shot attempts are way out of hand and the shot on goal numbers are between 30 and 40 a game. So it's good for Lukanen that he's that he's done well, but this has gotta be a problem for the Sabres because the the shot numbers are starting to get a
1: bit skewed too much just in general. Yeah, they're having trouble finding consistency in their game. Like we know the way that Don Grotto wants him to play. And it shows up some nights, it shows up for 10-minute increments, it shows up for some periods. At this point, I don't know if it's just the lack of depth in the lineup, if it's if it's just they need to bring different bodies in. Is it mm-hmm. you know? It could be a number of factors, but they are not playing consistent hockey right now. There were some nice moments before that break. You know the wins in Winnipeg, Minnesota. They had a decent little comeback in Pittsburgh to salvage a point there, uh, with Malcolm Subban being largely responsible for that one. But you know they they need to to get their team game back at five on five because you know we we spoke about goaltending so much, you know, during the month of December and obviously November ever since Craig Harrison's injury. But, you know, you, you can't expect your goalie to have to make 40 saves every night to keep you in the game. Right. And right. they're not generating, you know, and you mentioned defense, but it's obvious, you know, obviously they're not generating enough quality chances offensively at five on five. They aren't. And some of this is that their best players we will get to that in, in, in a few minutes, obviously aren't producing the way that they should, you know, if, if you're if if you're facing, a, you know, a deficit early in the games, it's going to change the way you're able to attack. It's just it, it just seems off right now. There's just mm-hmm. a, a disconnect. So I am curious once these guys get back in the lineup, what Don Ground was going to do to try to get get this lineup to really have some consistency.
0: And the area where people will focus in on is on defense. And, you know, we've seen people pay obnoxious attention to Rasmus Dallin and, you know, micro analyzing his game. But pop quiz time. Do you know who the first the first four leaders are in five on five minutes as far
1: as the Sabres go? Ooh, Dalin. He's number one. Um. Five on five minutes defense, defense. Yoki, are you uh, total? No, or are we average? Is this total no. minutes this is or average? Total time on ice. Total time on ice. Uh, Pissick, he's number two. Pissick, two, three. Um, I can't be Will Butcher. He's just been scratched too many times. Um, Tate Thompson. <laughs> no, he is. He's fifth. Okay.
0: But the top top four are defensemen. And the other two, number three is Jacob Bryce and number four is Colin Miller. And they're both out. Yeah. Which is weird to say, but that's causing them problems on the back end because because both of those guys are out. And I think that's a, it sounds weird to say this, but that's a big contribution for why things have gotten a little bit skewed defensively because, you know, for as up and down as Miller's season's been, he's been okay he's been you know, he's been fine yeah. um uh, and Bryson I think has played out very well for a guy that I don't know that anybody was really well, certainly not last year but this year it was a little different but not somebody who were thinking was going to be a top four minute guy in the NHL I don't think that was ever thought to be the case for him so but being without those two and and replacing them with and Robert Hague too you know that's that that hurts on the defensive side of things because he is such a he is such a guy that digs in, but um being minus those guys is definitely causing them problems because you're replacing him replacing them with Casey Vio, which you know Hey, that you know it's fine he's he's done okay you know will Butcher who's been kind of the odd man out more or less when
1: everybody's healthy and ethan prowl Ethan Prout heck well, of a story, but obviously I mean yeah he's twenty nine years old you know first time in the NHL um. Mm-hmm not exactly going to be in your top six, the top six on a lot of teams. So uh, I'm with you. I, the one thing I don't notice is is a lot of issues in the D zone. You know, when their D zone coverage isn't the issue like it was under Phil mm-hmm. Housley and, it, and right. a lot of times under Ralph Krueger. Their, their breakouts are sloppy sometimes so they get stuck on their own zone. And offensively, it feels like this group, is, a lot of East, East West passing that ends up getting it turned into turnovers. There's a reluctance. They get the puck behind the the D to really make them work for it and establish a forecheck. check. It's little stuff, you know, th- there's some nights where they stink in the neutral zone. You know, the Islanders are really good at neutral mm-hmm. zone for checking. So that was a one example, but it, it's sort of all over the ice. Um, and you're right. I think the, 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 the issue on defense is one that is glaring and, uh, you know, with Bryson st- certainly still on the, the COVID protocol list. Miller out. Robert Higg is is injured. Matias Samuelson's in COVID protocol and Rochester. So, really, they're just sort of piecing mm. together, you know, personnel here. And that's why you're seeing Dahlien and Yoki you play as much as they are because you know, they're at least trusted to relieve pressure on the breakout and do some of the other things that Don Granado wants to see to get some offense going to 5-on-5.
0: Yeah, and playing Dolly and Yogi Haru thirty minutes a night is certainly not, in they is not their ideal play because they of any of the coaches we've seen through here the last you know last eight ten years, he seems to really want to balance out the minutes between everybody. He doesn't want to lean on anybody too hard one way or the other. He doesn't want to he doesn't want to have guys you know complaining about ice time, which I don't think anybody can. Um, and honestly, on this team, there 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 shouldn't be one. Line or one pairing that that eats up so many minutes that you're just kind of like, man, I wish, wish so and so would get a couple more minutes here or there. Like you're not saying, like nobody's saying that about anything with this team. So, but you do notice when you know Dalene and Yoki Haru are out there every other shift, and you're just kind of like, who man, cut them a break here. Like you know, this is this is going a little bit beyond what we're what they're accustomed to, and certainly not what they're aiming to do with this team. I mean, that's. That, that, that's, but this is making the best of a bad situation. Um, all things considered, because, you know, like I said, you're not expecting Bryson and Miller to be, you know, some of your top minute guys. You're you never expecting that to be the case, but you're without them, then you notice it, and you know, then you're seeing, you know, they've had, they had to juggle those those second and third pairings, a little bit, just trying to find something that worked, because it was against New Jersey where Fitzgerald was playing, the left side with Pesek on the right. And Casey Fitzgerald just was not comfortable on the left side at all, at least to my eyes. I'm sure he said he, you know, he's fine. He did his best, but it did not look like he was comfortable at all. And he switched the next game against the Islanders. He was on the right side. So, and I think, you know, honestly, Mark Pesek, misses Robert Haig quite a bit because Pessic was the guy everybody's like, oh my God, they got to extend him. They got to get him, you know, keep him, you know, get him to your deal, keep him around. And he's looked tough these last few games without Haig and uh I don't think that's a mistake. I think that's just kinda how it goes. You know, I mean, love Pesic, but you know, if he's one of your shutdown D men, then, you know, at some point you're gonna you're gonna see some blemishes.
1: Yeah, this team desperately needs Matias Samuelson to get to be NHL ready and to be on the NHL roster. They also, they also desperately need Owen power, Ryan Johnson <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. to, to, to be ready as quickly as possible, because let's face it, the depth on defense, especially when you look beyond the trade deadline, when quite clearly Colin Miller will be gone. Um, most likely mm-hmm. we don't know about how long Robert Hague is going to be out. Maybe he won't be back in time for the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, will butcher could be gone. And I actually like will butcher's game the other night against New Jersey. Uh, I yeah. think that, you know, made the best of a, a difficult situation for himself. And obviously Casey Fitzgerald has an opportunity here to really establish himself as an NHL guy this season. This is a big couple of months for Casey Fitzgerald before those prospects arrive power Johnson uh, to really show that he could be a solution on the right side. Cause that's a pretty glaring hole. And, you know, you look at the, the good teams in the National Hockey League, obviously there's a lot of components they have that make them good, but stability on defense is a pretty big one. So they they need to get that group sorted out you know, as quickly as possible. I,
0: uh, I I got a little bit peeved when I saw Fitzgerald put on the left side because I, the, the first thought I had was to when he finally got playing in Rochester and they were playing him at forward because they had 11 defensemen in Rochester <laughs> and they didn't have enough forwards to, to put a, a full forward, you know, 12 man forward unit out there. And Fitzgerald was stuck playing forward for most of, most of that time, which yeah, was good. not ideal, but also they were stuck because they had a handful of guys that they felt like they had to play uh, despite having, you know, you know, you know, Fitzgerald being a guy that's a prospect who you want to develop correctly. And you're just kind of like, well, here, man, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be on the fourth line. And then they're sticking him on the left side here. And I'm just like, listen, I know he's got the versatility, but that's because you forced him to have it. And he's not at his best when he's out of that, those spots. Like, I mean, if you throw him in at four for a game, like, okay, fine. Like, tell him to go four check like crazy and, and hit people. Like, I'm sure everybody's down with that. But if you want him to play in defense, play him at defense.
1: Yeah, put him in a position to actually succeed. And, you know, it's only a second NHL game. You put him on his offside. I mean, even guys who've been in the league for several years struggle on their offside when they start doing it. Like, look at Brandon Montour. He was a disaster on his offside for most Mm -hmm. of his time in Buffalo. And while he's he's certainly not a shutdown defenseman with the Florida Panthers, he's back on the right side. And he looks like he should have, you know, when he was with yep. Buffalo. So, mm-hmm. it's little things like that and we can go again, you can list a number of players over the history yeah. of the Buffalo Sabres over the past <laughs> decade and and list all who was mismanaged. Evan Rodriguez by the way, I think he had <laughs> he, as of right now I think he has two goals in that blowout against San Jose right now, so mm-hmm. there's another one for you.
0: Boy, there's a there's a fish that got away. Yeah. Fish that they fish that they forced out of
1: town. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fish that they made very uncomfortable playing here because Let's remind everybody he asked for a trade after he was sat down in favor of Dalton Smith against Tampa Bay and Dalton Smith's what two minutes and 15 seconds
1: of ice time. He took a roughing penalty. It was one hell of a roughing penalty, though. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> but that was but that was the night uh, that was the night where Evan was like, yeah, it's time to go time, yeah, for, that was... time to ask for a trade.
1: Well, I think that was the turning point of their season, right? Like the Sabres had a pretty, I think like a three or four, nothing lead on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay ended up winning that game at a comeback yeah. in the third period. It was just a complete disaster. Like the wheels and, came yeah. off after that. Like
0: it- yeah. And it was like built as a revenge game for what happened in Tampa, you know, before where Darlene gets hit in the head by mm-hmm. Shurnak during a power play and the referees don't see it happen at all. And. I think you and I were in we Florida. Were. Yeah, we were, and that post game was extremely anxious.
1: Yeah, because um, Ralph Ralph made a point to tell us that Darlene had a concussion, which coaches don't do. Mm-hmm. Like they don't. So yeah, it was yeah, we saw Darlene in the hallway being, you know, having a conversation with Jason Botterill. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was just very tense.
0: Um, I just remember asking Jack, if he saw what happened, to Darlene, considering he was the guy, I think that was part of that cycle where Darlene yep. got cranked in the head. And Jack goes, he goes, no, I didn't see it happen. I was like, I don't know, I man. You're five be, feet from him. I,
1: I maybe you saw that. it. We could have it again. We could have multiple podcasts about the stupid unwritten rules of hockey and, and in right. refusing to acknowledge some of that stuff in the media for the game is just you
0: know, whatever. See, That's <laughs> stuff like that. I will always give Marcus Foligno a lot of credit for, because I remember it was a game where Radko Gudas was running. It was steamrolling guys with, Dirty hits all over the ice, and finally, I think he was the one to step up and and try to fight him once. I don't know if he actually got the fight off or not, but after the game, he goes, he goes, man, that guy's an idiot. Just <laughs> straight out, just says it right in front of these, like, yeah, that guy's just such an idiot. And I was like, yeah, you're not wrong. Like that's, you know, he's running around neon neon guys, and yeah, that's that's fair, but. You know, when you among, get under Marcus's skin, like, that's just kind of like, man, what is it? How does he really feel if he's just calling him an idiot to us?
1: Like, my goodness. Among the guys that, have, you know, were part of those non-playoff teams of the Sabres over the past 10 years. I think Marcus is the one that I wish I could have covered because he seems mm-hmm. like an absolute gem with some mm-hmm. of these quotes that he comes out with. Um seems just like a really good guy. I mean, I, I met his dad, obviously, he's, you know, talking to Nick, too. They just seem mm-hmm. like a really, you know good group of people, right?
0: Yeah. The, uh, the Felinos are, I mean, Mike Felino is still a heartthrob for, for moms around Buffalo, (laughs) you know, like the Michael show up on, you know, for some of these events and people just go like, Oh my goodness, Mike Felino. Wow. It's like, I had a crush on him back in the day. It's like, you still have a crush on him. Are you you (laughs) kidding here? Jim Schoenfeld still gets it too. And like, he doesn't have the flaming red hair anymore. The disco album, like that's just, it's not, it's not around anymore, but, um, but yeah, Marcus was just such an outst just the the ultimate dude. Like if I if if I ever call somebody like the ultimate dude, I just mean that they're freaking cool as hell. And Marcus was was definitely that. And you know what? Those teams were really bad. And, you know, when I was doing NHL.com stuff, if I ever needed to do some kind of like lighthearted questioning of guys, Marcus was M- Marcus was my first go-to guy, then it was Ryan O'Reilly, and then eventually Ryan <laughs> Reinhardt, which you know, which is a big adjustment going one <laughs> to the other, to the other. Um, but at least, at least with Sam, I was able to break him down and say, Hey Sam, I got a really dumb question for you. And he would just start laughing right away. And he's like, that's a great start. And I was like, yeah, don't worry. It gets worse. And then he would just be like, okay, all right. What, whatever you got to ask, like I'll have fun with it at that point. Cause you know, Sam wasn't always, you know, jokes and laughs in, in the locker room, but, really. but Marcus definitely was. And Ryan, you know, Ryan, when he wasn't being deadpan serious after games was a, again, a dude's dude, just a, a, a dynamite person to have in the room. And we weird how those two dynamite people in the room
1: didn't stick around that long. But, you know, hey, you know who has all those on ice, those off ice qualities, I should say. Alex Tuck. Really? I am incredibly impressed with Alex Tuck as a person when it comes to just observing interactions with not only like the media, the fans, you know, people who work for the team. And I Mm. think that I mean He's hit, Alex has hit all the right notes when you're trying to win over a fan base. It, mm-hmm. it, there's like a a, bing, a Buffalo bingo card. He's really nailed down a lot of them. And there's yeah. been no references to Buffalo wings or blue cheese yet, but you have to think that those are coming. <laughs> and you know there was all this hype around him uh, as a player because of obviously the talent, the impact he had in Vegas the guy that he was traded for. Um, mm-hmm. But finally, being able to see Alex Tuck on the ice for a few games this week. I mean, what were your thoughts? Um, first first game in six. We'll, we'll start out by saying shoulder surgery. He hadn't played in six months. So mm-hmm. not the easiest circumstances to step into for him.
0: No. And, you know, going from Vegas to going to here, also not – not an easy adjustment because the styles of play are so different and the where they are in the standings also extremely different but uh I think Alex came as advertised honestly um, you know his first shift he made sure to, go to make it a point to go out and get a hit on somebody not a big dumb stupid hit that gets him in the box but just something to be like yep I'm a big guy I'm gonna hit somebody and they're gonna bounce off me and the fans are gonna love it and that's that's what he did and you know what he was in on he was in on a lot of stuff. Like the thing about his game that I like is that he's around the net. Yeah. A lot. And that, I mean, when you're a bit, when you're that big, a guy hanging around the net should just be your automatic place of business anyways, except unless you're Tage Thompson, which is a different, it's a whole different animal. Um, but when you're, when you're Alex tuck size, where you're a big, strong, you know, mu- you know, you know, muscled out guy um, that you make a living just playing down around the crease and just you know banging around getting the getting those classic dirty goals dirty pucks but also having the ability to be able to pop out into the slot and and be able to bury some shots as well so to me seeing him and I you know I can't say he's thriving but like it's a really good start uh as far as it goes and I, I I'll be anxious to see how it looks once he and Thompson get a little bit more, acclimated to each other um because it it seemed like they were trying to definitely work off each other but it was just you know things were a little bit off and that's understandable because you know (laughs) they hadn't played together before so i get it but i'm i'm very encouraged by the way he plays and i you know what you're right man if if there's going to be another dude's dude in buffalo he's probably the one
1: Yeah, not only is he good in front of the net, like you mentioned, but what gives him the potential to be such a special player is how good he is off the rush, too. I mean, he can skate like he flies for a guy that big. You don't see that combination very often. He's got this shot he has. He's got a really, really interesting, you know, group of skills, package of skills, however you want to put it, that give him the potential to really thrive in a top-line role. In heavier minutes, bigger role than he had out in Vegas – and now it's just all about surrounding, surrounding him and your other core players with more talent, and like you mentioned, developing chemistry. He wasn't in, he wasn't in camp with this team. He wasn't taking line rushes with Tage Thompson or any of these other centers. You know, maybe he's a better fit for Dylan Cousins when Cousins returns. Maybe he ends up with Krebs. I think that it was really. But you saw all the the elements that you wanted to see. He was catching grief for that penalty early in the game in Boston. I thought that the guy lost his edge. I did not even think Alex was, was necessarily yeah. responsible for that. It was like a mm-hmm. it looked bad, but it, again, like it's not that bad of a play. Mm-hmm. Um, for a guy who's missed six months, I think it's important to temper expectations as you know this team isn't playing exactly all that well right now. He's still mm-hmm. getting used to it after six months off. I mean. Great first three games. I think that he'll only his impact will only grow, his role will only grow. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets used, though. Like you said, you know whether it be on the power play, who is he going to skate with at five on five? It's got to be exciting for Don Granado because he find he's he's starting to get some more options to where he can put guys, and mm-hmm. it frees you up as a coach. And it you know this team needs to be better at five on five, and the, the, they needed more talent. It's it's easy to forget how many players they've been without. You know, throughout this season, whether it's Middlestad, I mean, Tuck's obviously a really good one that they've been without. We talked about all the injuries on the back end. There's Craig Anderson and goal. So hasn't been exactly smooth sailing, but finally being able to get him in the lineup, get Krebs in the lineup on the ice. It means a lot, but also off the ice, they're finally turning the page from the Jack Eichel era. Like it felt like that night with those two in the lineup, that was finally okay. Here's the next chapter they can sort of close the book on, on all the Eichel stuff. The, uh, the, the
0: attention will still be there once Jack returns to the lineup in Vegas. And if he's back in time for <laughs> to play here in March, Oof. well, that's a, that's that's a, that's a day I might actually buy a ticket to just, <laughs> just to see what the reaction is, because I'll want to see it and I'll get a big laugh when it's more booze than cheers, because I think we all know that that's what's going to come, but like, but you're right. The 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 books close on the Buffalo side of things. Like, Jack's gone; he's history. See you later. It's a you know a failed era, not because of Jack. Let's make that clear. It's not it's not no. it's not his fault. It's a failed era, but you've you, but you've turned it over. It's now a, a whole. It's a completely different team, and now it's 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 up to these guys to to, to take the reins, whether it's Tuck or it's Krebs or. You know, if it's Jeff Skinner, who's having a bounce back year or Victor Olofsson, if he can get his game figured out and let's talk about him for a second. Yeah. What, What point or are we already worried with with him in respects to not generating any offense, and not being very helpful at 5-on-5. Five five.
1: Yeah. If you look at the numbers, 5-on-5 five five shot quality, he's still up there on the team. But And he is getting around the net more often than we saw in past seasons. But the fact of the matter is that he has zero goals in his last 17 games. Um, he seems to have lost confidence in his shot. He seems to have lost all accuracy when it comes to his shot. And mm-hmm. the injury that he missed time with, Don Granato made it clear. This is an injury that impacts his ability to shoot the puck. Whether that's an oblique shoulder, we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. They don't come out and say that sort of stuff. But it's quite evident to me that he's just not making the same impact. You know, he had a good camp, pretty good camp after a slow start to it. And when this organization... Moves forward, and they try to decide who's going to be part of the picture long term. Victor Olson needs to be better. He Needs to be better defensively. He hasn't been good enough in that respect at five on five either. Uh, what kind of player is he going to be? Because you know that role in the power play isn't going to last forever. If you're not producing, you're not scoring goals, and that shot isn't going in. With more talent reaching the NHL, whether it be Peyton Krebs, who let's face it, he. he he can shoot from that spot Olsen usually takes on the power play, or, mm-hmm. you know, Jack Quinn. I'm like, you got to figure it out at some point. You could use injuries and excuse all you want, but, the, you know, the puck's not going in the net, and you're not seeing enough, you know, grade A chances generated by Victor Olsen at this point. And
0: the thing I've noticed with him is that he's no longer on the right side of the power play. He's now moved over to the left. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to give him different looks, they're just trying to do something to shake it up, trying to do, you know, do whatever it takes to to try to make something happen and maybe trip and fall into something. But uh, he got a handful of shots against Boston from that left side, uh, particularly on the power play, and a lot of those shots were ripped high and wide um, and just missing the net completely. Because at least before before the injury, whatever whatever the injury is, we if he was taking a shot, it was on net. Yeah. you know and it was forcing the goalies to have to make a, a save and to be paying attention very closely because that puck can get on you really fast and now it's not it is these shots are sailing high and wide uh goalies aren't really having to be tested all that much and we're not really even seeing them take slap shots I mean I don't think of them as a slap shooter necessarily I mean it's certainly on the power play a little bit more so but just the accuracy of everything. And I think even the velocity and how quick that shot gets on guys is just not there. And, and yeah, to absolutely. me, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very concerning because if he doesn't have that
1: shot, he's got nothing. Yeah. The confidence seems to be the big thing right now. And I think that he, that also impacts just the release. Cause it seems like he second guesses himself on when, and on when to shoot the puck, when to pass that entire power play right now, seems completely broken with no, no solution in sight. There's just a lot of passing around those, th- those to the three guys around the perimeter, and the two in front of the you know the, the other two just aren't even an option. You know, it makes the Sabres completely predictable on the man advantage, and I'm not. Put, obviously, that's not just Victor Olson, but you know that's an area of, of their game that needs to be addressed. And we don't know. I mean, you're not paying. A, I mean, you're not paying a guy just for, to for, to make an impact on the power play, but good teams in this league are good on special teams and you're you're not going to steal points you're not going to overcome your your mishaps at 5 on 5 and where this team is there's going to be a little bit more than than the rest of the pack you're, you're it's it's going to be tough to, to catch up there
0: yeah and with the 5 on 5 scoring already being kind of a uh, a bugaboo issue for Olofsson, you know you can people have knocked on him for only scoring power play goals but at least get those you know I, I mean nobody nobody knocks on ovechkin for scoring 20 power play goals a season because he scores you know 45 50 total for the year but the same point you're not turning down free goals you're not going to turn down any of these these freebies and I will say though the power play is a mess but there is an upside because Brett Murray Brett Murray's a guy now like he's he's an official guy for this team now I I it feels kind of weird but very appropriate to say that
1: He earned it. Right. I mean, like he showed up to to a few development camps, uh, prospects challenge and the team, you know, the people who were in charge at that time weren't pleased with his conditioning, you know, where he was at physically. They didn't like where he was in his development. You know, he left the USHL early, was committed to Miami, Ohio. Is that correct, Joe, at one uh, point? It was Miami
0: at first. And then uh, I think Rico Blasi got fired.
1: Yeah, that changed his entire plan. So he had to sign an AHL deal. And no complaints from the kid. He went down to Rochester and he worked and he turned himself into a prospect with the help of obviously coaching other people in the organization. But, you know, he doesn't have that top end speed to be a big guy on when it comes to stuff on the rush. But. Hey, you mentioned the power play. I, lo- I really like what he does there, um, and he's he's really good along the boards. I love that that play, that sequence against Boston, where he wins that puck along the boards, has some deception, and finds Henestrosa um, open for that that first Buffalo goal. So, there's skill there, and he I think he's finally figured out what his role is going to be. Because remember, like at the USHL, he scored like 40 goals for Youngstown. You know, you're, yeah. he, he was never going to be that kind of guy. Uh, pro so he realized I have to be a power forward I have to to get bigger I gotta get stronger I gotta stick up for teammates like he did mm-hmm. you know earlier this week when Okpos got hit from behind so it's an intriguing player because there's nobody else obviously in the organization with that skill set that he has
0: yeah you mentioned his 40 goal season at Youngstown and that came in when he was 20 years old after he had left Penn State
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because he had committed to Miami of Ohio Rico gets fired. Then Guy Godowski picks him up for Penn State. He goes to Penn State and plays not a lot of games there before before he took off and then went back to Youngstown. And yeah, he scored a ton of goals, but also <laughs> he's the oldest guy in the league. And no who's handling a guy who's six foot four, six foot five in the USHL, who's, you know, maybe up to four years older than some guys in the USHL. Nobody's touching him. Of course he scored 40. But the weird road that he's taken to get to the NHL is, is fascinating because a lot of guys don't recover from that. You know, you you know, you commit to one college, don't go there, go to another college, leave there, go back to the USHL. And then you're stuck because you're 20, you know, you can't go play junior hockey. You got to go, you either you get signed or you are toast. And Buffalo kind of Rochester threw him a bone. I, you know, actually, because it was the Americs that signed him to a deal and then he was able to kind of figure it out and now he's an NHL guy constantly see score more goals right there the sirens are going off but like <laughs> it's 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 wild to see how this very long and winding road has taken him to being an everyday guy in the NHL because i think he i think he's somebody when you see his his physical stats you're thinking like boy if this guy can put it together he can hang around the league for a bit it was just a ma- matter of getting the opportunity, and now he has, and he's he's completely run with it.
1: Yeah, and a lot of this is his skating. Um, and I'm not talking about speed, but he is a good skater. Like that's what allows him to really hang and play. Not only is he, it's not like he's come up and, and played on the fourth line and received little minutes. I mean, what he's averaging 13 minutes and 32 seconds per game. You know, yeah. for that skill set, playing with talented guys will you know, talented, proven guys like Cousins and Ocposa before Cousins was placed in protocol. That's a lot of responsibility. I know Don Granado really believes in the kid. Like Don is the one that told Kevin, I want him in Buffalo. You know, Granado went down to an Amherst game with Ke- with Kevin Adams a few you know, I think that was about a month ago at this point, maybe a little bit longer, and mm-hmm. really and really watched him play and said he's he's ready. As soon as we have an opportunity, let's get him up and get him some more games. So it's, it's really interesting to see how, over the past year, some guys have really emerged and, and joined what we consider that young core, while a couple others have maybe struggled a little bit.
0: Yeah, and one of them, to me, is is a guy who everybody was very hype over uh, when they acquired him in the Taylor Hall trade last year was Andres Bjork. Uh, and Anders played very well uh, when he came in last year, uh, but it is not been the case this year he's he's looked very off and I don't know if that's a case of of him just being you know being kind of caught in that third fourth line tweener spot but something with his game just does not seem to be computing the way it did last year and you could argue that there's a lot more talent on the team this year so I'm, I'm kind of stuck as to like what gives with with him I mean he's got four goals and four goals five points this year uh, he's averaging 12 minutes a game, so he's, it's it's kind of on the low end of things as, as far as guys in the, on the team go, but this has not turned out the way I think anybody was really thinking it was when he when he came
1: over last year. It's odd. You know, back in training camp preseason, you know, I saw him playing with just way too much on the perimeter, just way too much of a perimeter player, and that's sort of the, been the knock on his game going back to Notre Dame, just a guy who doesn't get to the net enough uh, doesn't know how to use his speed effectively. And that's what we're seeing creep into his game again. He doesn't know how there's games where he's using his speed to back check. He's disrupting plays. He's turning the puck over in the neutral zone. But a lot of times it feels like when he actually does get possession, he forces uh, a bad shot that ends up getting blocked. He's I mean, He's got zero shots on goal over his last three games. You know, He played, what, fewer mm-hmm. than nine minutes at Boston. Yeah. Uh, It's an, an, you know, he's, he's got some skill. He's got some speed. We know the shot is there, but he's not even finding shooting lanes and you really can't chalk it up to who he's skating with. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. like he's been, you know, he's had his opportunities and I just don't think he's ever really gained momentum this season. He's not gotten to a rhythm. He had that good game in Winnipeg a few weeks back, but he gets a non COVID illness and he misses a little bit. And then there was the holiday break. So I'm really curious. Like you said, everybody was really excited about him last year when he came over in the trade. But what do you what do you do now? You know, how patient can you be with this guy? Because it's not like he can go to you know, it's not like he can go to Rochester.
0: Yeah, it's. I'm starting to understand a little bit why he was an in and out of the lineup guy with Boston, uh, because of this sort of, I don't know if it's erratic, but I guess it's just inconsistent play. Um, because I'm just going back through like his game logs here. I mean he played 842 against Boston and that's an overtime game. I don't know like the minutes have dropped off pretty hard here like the 11 minutes the two games before that um just not a lot of honestly there's not a lot of reason to to put him in like to keep to keep giving him um steady minutes because there's just not a lot of production here. I mean he's got let's see here. Not a lot of shots generated. I mean, he had his biggest shot generation game was against LA out West. And it was, you know, he had four shots in the game. He played 14-25. Okay. You know, like had a hit. Cool. But like your stat line can't have zeros carved through it across the way and expect to stay in the lineup. Like that's, that's just not going to happen. You know, it's not block. He's not blocking a ton of shots. He's not hitting a lot of guys and he's not taking a lot of shots. So it's, He's in a spot where when, you know, when some of these other guys get back in the lineup, he's looking at a good possibility. He's going to get sat down because, you know, what's, again, what's, what's the motivation? I mean, he's 29 games this year. He's got 27 shots. It's not, it's not great. You know, he's got, he's got uh, let's just going across his line here. He's got seven hits. He's got, you know, eight block shots, 20, you know, 29 games, man. That's he ain't doing a lot.
1: Yeah, I, is it a case of a player who doesn't know what his role should be in the NHL? Like it, mm-hmm. because right now he needs to be if, if you're going if you're playing as much as he is in the role that he is and you're having trouble making an impact offensively, then you need to be good at killing penalties. You need to be good on the forecheck. You need to be doing these other things to make an impact in the game. But it feels like to me, if he's not getting chances off the rush and he's not able to to really feel the puck as much as probably he wants to. He doesn't get involved in the game, and he just looks lost. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not like he's a complete negative on this team, but he's not showing enough. And I'm wondering, like, if Drake Kajula comes back this week, does he get scratched for Drake Kajula? I, and it feels like if if Anders Bjork didn't have the the USA national team like development program connection with Don Granado that he would have been scratched mm-hmm. long ago because look at R2, like R2, R2 and R2 struggles remind me a little bit of what we're seeing from Bjork where mm-hmm. just not, in, not involved enough in the game, not making an impact in other ways. And you know, at some point, you know, at some point that healthy scratch is going to come again because Bjork has been scratched in the past and it's all about how you react and, I don't know because it's not like you can gift him, you know, more minutes or a bigger role, especially when other guys are just playing better. Rasmus Asplund is mm-hmm. playing better. You know, all these guys are playing better right now. The uh, for the advanced stat crowd who
0: probably were cringing at me mentioning goals, points, and hits and, and stuff. <laughs> um, he of of guys that have enough games played, and I'm not going to count Brett Murray for this because he's got 15 games played, but uh, he's he has the second worst Corsi four. Number five and five on the team. Cody Eakins only lower than him. And his expected goal percentage is terrible. Um, The only guy worse than him that's played any amount of games is Drake Kajula, who's right underneath him on the list. But at least Drake's got some, you know, puck possession time numbers to him. But Bjork's numbers are his advanced numbers are bad. And, you know, the, it, at least when you've got your good, if you've got the good advanced numbers, you could say, like, well, he's doing stuff away from the puck that's making things work. He doesn't even have that going for him right now.
1: Some games he is. Some games you see him in the neutral zone stripping pucks, you know, turning it around, using speed. But, again, you're just not seeing enough of it. And I know there's, there's a really... Interesting skill set there. He fits in with that young core. The cap number is really, really good for if he could figure it out. But mm. you're running out of options in terms of helping him figure it out. You can't, again, you can't send him to the Amherst. He, he can't go down there. So do you gift him a, a higher spot in the lineup and just hope that he figures it out while skating alongside somebody with the skill set of Thompson, you know, cousins or Krebs, as opposed to Cody Egan. I don't know because it's not like Cody, Cody Eakin at least wins face off. So there's some possession mm-hmm. there that hopefully you, you, you kind of figure it out. But I'm also not sure I want to reward a player who's not adjusting to a different role. Um, the way that, you know, I think honors Bjork just needs to do it. Um, yeah. So, he, I mean, that's just where I'm at. At this point, I'm, I'm wondering where his development is going to take him next because he's got enough games in the NHL level. Like, mm-hmm. Is, is this what he is or, you know, what's the what's the case here? Yeah. And I mean,
0: you know, he's I, I guess in his favor, he's 25, which, you know, that, that's that's good. But also because he's 25, this is what he is. You know, there's there's not a lot more improvement that can go on there unless he becomes like a, a, a penalty killing stud. Or you know has a specialty team kind of role where it's just like wow okay this guy at least he can do this like Cody Eakin gets by because he can win those draws you know like it it seems weird that that's you know what can keep a guy going but on a team that doesn't have some really dedicated you know centerman that can win draws it's good to have that in your pocket to do it even though it just might mean you're taking the draw then hopping off the ice as soon as you get possession but like. But in Bjork's case, it's just that there's whatever it means for him to get into a spot where he can be good consistently. He hasn't found it here this year, at least he has not found it here this year. That's it. it I guess on a team that has no expectations, it's nice to have some things that you can be actually critical about and
1: and not have it be just like, well, these guys stink. <laughs> what a healthy, what a healthy discourse that would be. <laughs> Throw our hands up in the air. Yeah, no, just... like I'm sure it's frustrating to Kevin Adams and Don Conardo cuz they see what like they see the upside there. That's there's a reason why that they accepted him in that trade with although they didn't have many options since Taylor Hall forced his way to Boston, but still mm-hmm. like York there the shots there, the, the speed is there. There's some nice skill. Um he's a you know, he fits in with that other young young core, good guy, works hard, but like yeah, you got to you got to figure it out at some point. And it's been a rough go for him since the start of camp. You saw it in camp, um, mm-hmm. just playing too much on the perimeter, and not knowing how to use his speed. So, yeah, you you said it. Guys are coming back. It's time to figure it out. Yeah, and I mean,
0: it, honestly, you mentioned as Drake Kajula being the guy to take the take a spot away from him. If that happens, if that happens. If I'm Anders Bjork, I'm feeling really down in the dumps. I'm feeling
1: really like, oh boy. And I I've, wouldn't know how to I've screwed I wouldn't up. know how to react to that because if this is all about development and you're benching a guy like Anders Bjork for Drake Kajula, who, I mean, with all due respect to Drake Kajula, he's probably not going to be around next year, and he's yeah. sort of just a role player
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it's um it's it's very awkward. And what's also going to be awkward is. We're not going to be able to see a lot of the Sabres this week coming up, <laughs> and we got to hope for some kind of drama to come up because because they they had, they had a game at Montreal postponed. They've got a game with the Sharks Thursday. The schedule right Thursday, so they got one game coming up for this entire week. Which not, I, I guess, good for practice time. Good for getting guys back, but this is uh, this is looking a little bit dire. Thanks, COVID.
1: I, I'm thinking maybe the, they get a game added. Maybe the Islanders. I think the Islanders' schedule got freed up a little bit by all these mm. postponements in Canada. So if I'm the Sabres, I hope that happens. You don't want just one game you know, all the week and then your no. schedule's compressed the rest of the way. That would be insane with all the games they've had postponed. So... We'll see, Joe. There's always drama. There is always <laughs> drama. There's never a dull moment when it comes to this team. We know this. Something crazy is going to happen. Some True. Someone on Sabers Twitter will make a meme that will have us laughing. We can talk about that for an hour. We'll come up with something.
0: Oh, man. I have a meme day. That could that could be our show next week. We'll have it be meme week. We we asked people to do memes for us. No. Uh, after. Nobody did. No, yeah. Nobody did. We only asked but, for one, too. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But at least we figured out what Ralph Kruger's phrase was. Principles. Principles is what he, you know, to go with Phil Housley and his, you know, checking detail and shot mentality, principles was Ralph's Ralph's thing. If you if you thought we were we had forgotten about that, you're right. But also we just remembered it now. So so there, you've you've been informed.
1: Thank you um, to the listeners who responded to us on twitter and notified us i know at least one gentleman pointed out the principles was the buzzword that we were searching for Mm -hmm. and now i will pray that i forget about it again (laughs) yeah as well as everything else that ralph (laughs) ever said. (laughs) (laughs) we
0: did the right thing by forgetting about it but now it's been re-etched back into our brains and now it's never going to be forgotten because we forgot it the one time and now never again it'll be It'll be like, you know, it'd be like, uh, it'd be like going to my grave and saying "Rosebud" or something like that, you know, just, just full Citizen Kane. He says he went, he died saying "principles." What's that mean? <laughs> then, then the story goes on horribly from there. So it's, it's, <laughs> you know that's that's just how it goes with with sabers hockey. Like, he spent too much time in sabers hockey that's what his problem was. was like oh god why didn't he die sooner
1: <laughs> on new year's day i am extremely thankful that nobody in the sabers organization as of right now has any buzzwords that come close to what we've experienced in the past so thank oh. you to don Granado, kevin adams everybody else Seth Apper, thank you for sparing us of these connected principles um evolution they connected synergy
0: principles yeah synergy jesus yeah so many it's like a bad marketing firm just all these all these bad things see this is this is this is the dangerous part of the show where where we're winding up and we know we're at the end but also now we just ramble and we think of things and it's just it becomes a remember some guys thing except it's remember some dumb dumb stuff that we heard before I kept myself from swearing there.
1: <laughs> Congratulations, Jill. I, gonna,
0: I don't want us to get hit with that explicit tag at all, and I think if we ended the show with me just swearing, it might might flag us, but um, good on us for keeping it clean for now because Sabres hockey usually gets us to be very sweary eventually. So I'll take that I'll take that as a win for us. And it's a win for us because this is this is the, the this is it. This is the end of the show.
1: Yeah, and um, I think you know this is a good time to welcome any listeners. If you, if anybody has any questions you would like us to discuss on the podcast that are podcast appropriate, so don't ask you know anything that isn't related.
0: You know, don't ask anything weird. Yeah, we don't want mean personal weird. Weird in general is probably okay, but you know, if you get if you ask it and you think like "Mm, maybe I shouldn't have, then just don't.
1: Reach out to us on Twitter, Uh, Joe yeah give everybody can, a handle
0: it's my name oh. at j-o-e-y-e-r-d-o-n
1: <laughs> and mine is and my, first initial last name l lysowski l-l-y-s-o-w-s-k-i there you go right.
0: so there uh read lance's stuff in the buffalo news you can read my stuff if i ever write it in noted and uh with that have a great week everybody we will catch you next monday because we are weekly even though it's a maintenance day